0: Uh, I want to echo again what I said this morning. We're grateful to be able to be with you all here at First Baptist of Atoka. And we appreciate uh, your generosity that you've shown our family and your hospitality. Uh, We enjoy being able to spend time with Pastor Weems and Ms. Weems this uh, afternoon over a meal. And we just appreciate your heart for missions. And not only that, but your heart for missionaries as well. And so just want to say a few words about Hoover before we get into the message. I shared this morning a lot about the area uh, but I wanted just to speak a little bit about the religious, um, the religious situation, what we run into as far as uh, religion and spirituality in Hoover. Uh, it's probably uh, not much unlike what you have here. Uh, but there's every type of a major religion represented in Hoover. Uh, one evening, on a, well, one Friday afternoon, a gentleman from the church and I, we made three visits. That's only uh, the only uh, visits we could make in the allotted time that we have because we had some conversations. And the first door we knocked on, the guy, he had a, a foreign accent. And he wouldn't open the door because he was sick. And he said through the door, he said, I've never had anybody from a Baptist church uh, knock on my door before. And then across the street from him, we talked to a young lady, and she was from a Mormon background. That's how she had been raised. And then her next door neighbor was a Muslim lady and we spent a lot of our time with her. Uh, She invited us in and I thought maybe we were gonna have a good conversation but found out very quickly the reason she invited us in uh, was she wanted to kind of evangelize us versus us evangelize her. Uh, But we were able to have a good conversation and learn some things about what they believe. And then later that night, Abigail and I went out to make two visits and we uh, knocked on a young man's door, a prospect someone had given us, a family member of another person in another church. Uh, We knew that he was lost and he wouldn't even allow us introduce ourselves before saying he wasn't interested and then we made a follow-up visit to a lady named Shayla and her and her father lived together Bobby and uh, Shay, excuse me, Bobby and Shay live there and they're from a Jewish background and we, have, we had already been by and spoken to them once before had been able to give them the gospel uh, they were very open and asking a lot of questions but there were five people uh, with five different religious backgrounds and all five were lost and so that's what you find in Hoover there's all types of religions certainly there's an ev- evangelical presence but what we have found is the number one response that we get when we knock on doors is they're very quick to tell us uh, this is where I attend, uh, re- attend worship Worship. This is where I go and where I have my worship, but they're not able to tell us very clearly where they would go if they were to die today. Uh, they're more confident and kind of cultural in their religion that, that they're okay because of where they're going. And because the median age is 38, the median household come is around 100,000. They're very comfortable with their lifestyle to the point where they're not really considering that they have another need, a greater need, a spiritual need. And so as we go to, to Hoover, if you would pray, not only pray for souls to be saved, but pray that their hearts and minds would be open to the fact that they need something. And that something is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we knock on their door or we meet them in the community or they come to a service, uh, they're already searching and we'll be able to give them the gospel and see them gloriously saved. I just wanted to share, too, if you would take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12, that's kind of a segue uh, into our message tonight, uh, a little bit about my testimony and how the Lord worked. And I'll do that very quickly for the sake of time. But I was born and raised in a Christian home. I made a profession of faith at the age of five. And honestly, looking back on on that time in my life, what I was doing is I was going through the motions. I knew that's what was expected of me if I was going to be a good boy, that I needed to to be saved, I needed to be baptized. And a lot of my friends were doing that at that point in time in their life. Uh, But I don't really remember there being any conviction or really there being a full understanding of what the gospel was and my need to be saved. And so, for the next 10 years, I lived uh, my life based off of that profession. I had a story that I would tell whenever someone wanted to know my testimony. And when I was 15 years old, a, a man came and preached a youth revival at our church, and his testimony was very similar. He had made a profession of faith when he was young. And anytime he doubted his salvation, he had found his mother's journal, and she had written down the date of his profession in that journal and he said i would look at that date what my mother had written i would feel better about my salvation and every time i doubted i would go back to that journal until one day it dawned on him he said that his faith was what was written on a was in what was written on a piece of paper and not in the lord jesus christ and he knew that he needed to get his salvation settled and he called on christ in faith and was saved And that resonated with me. The Lord said, that's you. You're trusting in some story that you've been telling for the last 10 years, but you've not truly placed your faith in me for salvation. And so I went home that night under deep conviction, woke up the next morning still battling that. And I found my mother later that day, that afternoon, that following afternoon. And she took me in her room, and I think I probably quoted most of the verses to her. We'd had to memorize them at home or at church for one reason or another. And that day I called on Christ and Christ alone for my soul's salvation. And then for the next four years, I would love to say that I you know, did everything I should. I was the model teenager and just thoroughly right with the Lord, but that would be a lie. I had plans for my life. and They weren't bad plans. They were good plans. I planned to be in church, be faithful, and to even be somewhat involved in church. But I was done with school. I was not going to pursue any further education. I was going to work a job, meet a, meet a beautiful young lady, raise a family, and that was it. You know, Play church league softball with my dad, do all those things. And so at the age of 18, I worked uh, one year uh, full-time in landscaping, really enjoyed that work, but there wasn't much uh, room for, for future in that business. And so I had a gentleman from our church offer me a job in his company, working on small engines and home standby generators. And there were some certifications I could get, and each certification came with a pay raise and all of that. So I did that for a year. And as I would go out and service these generators, I remember one day thinking, I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. And here I am, I'm 19 years old, about to turn 20. I've had two full-time jobs, and I'm probably going to quit this one and do something else. And how many jobs am I going to have until I finally land on the one that I'm going to do with the rest of my life? And I remember being preached to and told all my life that God not only loves me, but God has a plan for my life. And that really wasn't you know, an altar call or any, anything like that. But as I was working and just thinking and praying in my heart, I said, Lord, if you'll just show me what you want me to do, I'll surrender to that. And the, at least I know that part of my life is settled. And so the next step, I knew the Lord wanted me to go to Crown College. Still wasn't sure what was beyond that. That was just the next step. And I have found over the years that the Lord leads us one step at a time. As we surrender to that one step, he'll show us the next one in his time. And so I enrolled as a business major, still kind of seeking direction, and that first semester in a mission conference, the Lord called me to preach. That summer, I had an opportunity to work at a Mount Moriah Christian Camp, and I had filled out an application, and I was going to do that, and then I changed my mind. I'm going to go home for the summer. Again, I'm going to play church league softball, be back with my friends, and I'm going to work a job, and I'll just come back, you know, the following semester. I'll, I'll spend my summer at home. And I had a friend that promised me a job where he worked. He was a manager in a business and said, I'll get you a job. But that never really fully materialized. And three times I was approached by either the dean of men or the camp director asking me if I would consider working camp that summer because I was already working on the property during the school year doing maintenance. And when they came to me the third time, I said, okay, well, maybe the Lord's trying to show me something. I said, Lord... I told the camp director, I said, look, I'll pray about it, and uh, I'll talk to my parents about it. I'll let you know in a few days. And so I prayed, sought the Lord's will in that, and I felt like he wanted me to work camp that summer. And that summer, working camp, that's where I met my wife. She worked camp that same summer. We got to spend the summer together, get to know one another, and the rest, as they say, is history. Here we are. (laughs) And just throughout the, uh, you know, I could go on for the next, you know, 30 minutes or so and just tell you story after story how the Lord has led us along to this point but what I have found is each and every step required something of me. It required surrender to the Lord's will. And God leads, as the song goes, God leads His dear children along. And each step that God shows us, it requires a decision for us. And that decision is, will I surrender to what the Lord is showing me to do? Will I obey His will? Or will I will I choose to? To go my own way. And there's a battle. There there is a one point in time sometimes you know, where we come and have a, a point of surrender. Maybe it's in a service or something like that. But the truth of the matter is that decision has to be made day in and day out. That today I will surrender to what God's will is for my life today. And as we come to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. The apostle Paul is addressing that very matter with the church at Rome. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I like for you, if you are in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that phrase, "a living sacrifice." I'd like to speak to you in just a few moments that we have remaining tonight on this thought, a plea for full surrender a plea for full surrender. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house this evening. Thank you for this church and their heart for missions and their faithfulness to be in your house tonight. We thank you for your word to guide us. And Father, I pray that as we examine your word tonight, that it would be clear in our hearts and minds. Please give me the words to say in explanation. But Father, I pray that it would be the Holy Spirit that does the preaching to our hearts tonight. And as you speak to us, that we would fully surrender to what you deal with us about, that your will would be fully accomplished, and that you would receive all of the honor and all of the glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would, hold your place here in Romans chapter 12 and go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and as you turn there, we talked a little bit in the Sunday school class this morning that... There's a part that all of us have to play in the Great Commission, really several parts that we can play, and we all are to go. God has commanded all of his children to go. He may not call us to go to another geographical location, but where we are, we are to go with the gospel. That's every believer's responsibility. We all also have a responsibility to pray, pray for laborers to enter the harvest. The Lord used that in my life. I was praying for Hoover back in 2015, not knowing that in 2022 that we would be led of the Lord to pack up, move back. to Alabama and to plant the church in Hoover. And then we all are to give. And when we think about giving, I know we're thinking about, uh, uh, usually our minds go immediately to the financial aspect of giving. And that certainly is a part that we all are to play. And this passage of scripture deals with that very thoroughly. And as you notice very quickly, notice in verse one, it says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches." Of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And he's talking to the church at Corinth about the church at Philippi and how they gave financially. Though they were going through a great time of difficulty, they gave really beyond their ability to give. God gave them a supernatural ability. God blessed them and enabled them to give more than would have been really uh, reasonable to give. And he gave them the grace to do that. But notice in verse number five, why was the church at Macedonia able and willing to give sacrificially to the work of the ministry? Notice in verse number five, it says, And this they did not as we hoped, But first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. The truth of the matter is the reason they were willing and able to give so sacrificially financially is because they had first given their lives to God. They had first raised that white flag of surrender and said, We're surrendered to the will of God for our life. Whatever God leads us to do, we're willing to do. And when we come to Romans chapter 12, we're coming to kind of the the practical application of the book of Romans. In the first eight chapters, Paul deals very in-depth about the doctrine of salvation. We're we're made aware of our condemned state that we were born in. We were born condemned to spend eternity in a place called hell because we were born a sinner. We're also made aware that because of the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be justified in the sight of God. That means we can be seen in God's sight just as if we never were a sinner. If we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, believing on him for our soul's salvation. And he deals with that very in-depth about the doctrine of salvation. And now being aware of that, he then shifts in chapter 12 to that how that knowing that we're saved should translate into the way in which we live our life. And he deals, first of all, in this first chapter, chapter 12, in the first two verses, with the matter of surrender. And he's pleading with the church at Rome that they would give their lives as a living sacrifice. And in just the next few minutes, I'd like for us to examine this plea. And first of all, would you notice with me as we look at this plea, would you notice the sincerity of his plea? Verse number one, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That word beseech means to beg and to plead. Now, the Apostle Paul was uh, respected by the church at Rome. He was considered a man of authority in the work of the Lord. And Paul's not standing there, however, and in a condescending manner or wagging his finger and pointing at the church at Rome and saying, you give your life to the Lord. But rather, he's pleading with them, almost begging them that they would surrender their life to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And I beg the question, why would Paul be pleading with them to yield their lives as a living sacrifice? And I submit to you, it's because Paul understood what it meant to do that. Hold your place here in the book of Romans and go back to the book of Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1, we know that the apostle Paul is writing this epistle from prison. He's been in prison not for committing some heinous crime, but for simply following the Lord and preaching the gospel. Yet Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse number, number 20. He says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ... And to die is gain. Paul had come to the point in his life as he walked with the Lord as saying, I would much rather die... And enter eternity and enter the presence of the Lord than to live on this earth. He goes on to say in that same chapter, he says, But I know it's more needful for you that I live and remain on this earth so that I can help you, you believers there at the church of Philippi. But Paul had come to the point of full surrender that his life mattered not to him. What mattered to him was that Christ be magnified. And we think about all the things that we face in life and all the things that could bring anxiety and all the things that could bring fear and all the distractions and all the frustrations that we deal with. And we think about a fully yielded life to the Lord and the freedom and the joy that it brings as we go through, no matter what it may be, whether it's a good situation or a horrific situation. Our goal is simply to magnify Christ. There's a freedom and a liberty that comes with that. And Paul understood that liberty that comes with a fully surrendered life, so much so that he's now begging and pleading with the church at Rome that they would surrender their lives as a living sacrifice. The sincerity of his plea. But notice, secondly, if you would, the source of his plea. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The source or the basis of his plea in which he's building his case and building his plea to this church at Rome was not something that if you do this, then you will receive this, but on which something that they had already received. As I was there at Crown College and attending the Temple Baptist Church, Pastor Clarence Sexton would say this all the time, that we serve God because of, not in order to. In other words, we don't serve God in order to receive more of his love because God has already given us all of his love to us. You're there in Romans chapter 12. Go back just a couple of pages to Romans chapter 8, verse number 32. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul says this, He says, talking about God, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? God has already given us His very best when He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross of Calvary. What makes us think that He will withhold anything else from us that we need? And so we build this, Paul's building this plea off the case, off the mercy already that we have received of God. Based on the mercy that we've received from God, we should yield our lives as a living sacrifice, not because we'll receive something else out of that, but because of what God has already given to us. And may I remind you of the mercy that God has given us? We don't have time to go back through all of it, but go through the Romans road in your mind. The Bible tells us very clearly that we were born a sinner. That sin has a penalty. It's an eternal separation from God. But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are recipients of the mercy of God. Ephesians tells us that he is a God who is rich in mercy. And Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, based on the mercy of God. That's the source of his plea, but notice the substance of, or the summary of his plea. What is he pleading with us here? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That word present means to be at one's disposal. Disposal. That we come before the throne of Almighty God and we bring our bodies. He said a living sacrifice. That's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? Usually we think of a sacrifice as something that's dead. But he says a living sacrifice. You're living, you're breathing, you have life. Yet you've considered yourself dead to yourself and fully surrendered to God. That we would bring our lives and we would place it at the feet of God saying, Lord, I am at your feet disposal. Paul says, I plead with you that you would present your lives a living sacrifice. The tense in which this phrase is given or this word is given is that it is a specific act, a once and for all action. Our young children, you know, especially the infant Joseph and and Jackson at three, sometimes they'll come up to us and they'll give us something. Maybe it's a piece of candy and they'll say, Dad, here, I want you to have it. Now, Jackson doesn't do that. He eats all his candy, but he'll bring a toy or something. Dad, you can have this. And Andrew used to do this a lot when he was little. Dad, I want you to have this toy. And I knew it was his favorite toy. And I knew what he was doing. He just wanted to demonstrate that he loved me and and that he wanted to give me something good. But what would happen was after about two or three days, the toy wouldn't be anywhere where I had placed it. (laughs) It somehow had miraculously found its way back to his room and in his toy box. Why? He decided it was time for him to have it back. And we think about this action, a lot of times that's how we, we give our lives to the Lord. It sounds great at the end of a sermon and a church service and we're on a spiritual high. Lord, you can have my life and I'm in the midst of all these other believers. I surrender to your will, Lord. <laughs> then we walk out the doors of the church building and we walk down the street. And we encounter a difficulty and say, never mind, I think I take that back. <laughs> I think I'm going to live for me. I didn't really going to meet, meet with this if I did that. Paul uses this term as a once and for all action that we lay our life at the feet of God. Lord, I am at your disposal, and I will never pick that gift back up. Paul's plea, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. But then notice with me, number four, if you would, the specifics of his plea. That I present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy and acceptable unto God. Now, depending on the meal, I love leftovers, especially if it's a good meal. Think about Thanksgiving dinner and all the leftovers. I enjoy eating those leftovers for the next few days. But I haven't had too many leftovers that were as good as the original meal. And when we give our lives as a living sacrifice, sometimes it's easy for us to sacrifice our leftovers, well, I've got a little spare time. I'm caught up on all the projects at home, and so I think I can volunteer some time to go out soul winning this week. I'll give God that leftover time. You know what? Things have been good for us financially. i got a few dollars left over this month, and have for the last few months, I think I could probably can give this amount to missions, since I've got some extra cash laying around. And It's easy to sacrifice the leftovers, and sometimes we do that, and and we kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we're making just such a great sacrifice for the Lord. But as he mentions the specifics of this plea, holy and acceptable, he's talking about giving God our very best. This also ties in with the thought of sanctified living, that we are to live our lives in a way that would be well-pleasing unto the Lord. That word acceptable means that which is pleasing, and that word holy means that which is set apart from the profane. In the specifics of this plea, the truth of the matter is, we'll see a little bit later on in verse number two, that God helps us to be able to offer ourselves as a holy and acceptable sacrifice if we yield our lives to him. But the mindset that we should have should be like the writer of the song that said, take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord for thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And God just simply asks us to give our all to Him and let Him do what He wills with us. That we would offer our lives a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. But then we come fifthly tonight to the sting of His plea. This this point here bites us a little bit. Notice what it says in in chapter 12 at the end of verse number 1. Which is your reasonable service? A lot of times when we talk about a thought like this, of us yielding our life fully to the Lord, it's met with things like, preacher, what you're asking me to do is simply illogical and unreasonable. How, can I, how do you expect me to give my entire life, every aspect of my life, to the Lord? And I'll be honest with you, there was a point in time in my life where I would have been the same way. I was the same way. But I want you to hold your place here and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We went over this verse in Sunday school. I'd like to mention it again. This is a passage of Scripture that forever changed the way that I looked at my life. And In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, skip down to verse number 17. It says, "In verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That talks about the regenerational work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But back up to verse number 14 and verse number 15. Paul says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constraineth means to compel, to hold our feet to the fire. The love of God for us should be our motivation for living our lives for Him. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Paul is saying here, the one that gave his life for us, he died in our place. Therefore, we should live our lives for his glory. The truth of the matter is, physically speaking, we would not have the breath that we breathe tonight if God had not given it to us. Spiritually speaking, we would have no hope at all of eternal life with God in glory. If God had not provided that way for us to come back to him in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Without God, we would have absolutely nothing. And God has simply just asked us to live our life on this earth fully yielded to Him. He is worthy of our sacrifice. And I believe if I were to ask you to raise your hand tonight, I think all of us would like to consider ourselves as reasonable individuals, wouldn't we? And Paul says this plea that he's pleading with the church at Rome... That we yield our lives as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. He says this, it is our reasonable service. You ever met anybody that's unreasonable? (laughs) Don't nudge anybody beside you, right, or look down your row. Sometimes we all can be unreasonable, can't we? But the truth of the matter is, the most unreasonable thing that I could ever do with my life is to thank or to act in such a way as I live it unto myself. Because God deserves my sacrifice, and that is my reasonable service to yield my life to Him. The sting of His plea. Notice with me, sixthly, if you would, tonight, the secret of His plea. Chapter 12, we skip now down to verse number two. It says, Be not conformed to this world, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talk about the principle of yielding our lives as a living sacrifice, but the truth of the matter is that's easier said than done, isn't it? As we go out into this sin-cursed world, and it seems to be getting worse and worse all the time, and we can have good intentions, and we can uh, make, put forth the effort to live our life for the Lord and yield to Him, but if we're not careful, we get distracted, or maybe we get discouraged by all the things that are around us. How is it possible that me... Uh, uh, Austin Brown in, in 2024, how could I live my life as a living sacrifice unto the Lord? The only way is if I'm allowing God to have his transformational work in my life. If I don't allow myself to be conformed and molded to the image of this world, but I allow God to have his perfect will and way in me, transforming me from the inside out, the renewing of my mind, letting God renew me day in, and day out. How do I do that? Well, go back to Romans chapter 6, if you would, verse 13. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, he says this to the church at Rome, "...neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace." The truth of the matter is, it all comes down to that one word, yield, yield. We receive pressure from the world to conform to its image, and we also, on the other hand, have the power of God to transform our life, and He stands there ready to do so. But with each and every waking moment, we have the choice which power will we yield to. Will we yield to the conformational power of the world and be conformed to its image? Or will will we yield to the transformational work with which God wants to do in and through us? And the choice is left to us. If we will surrender our lives as a living sacrifice, God will enable us to live that kind of life if we yield to him daily, allowing him to transform us by the renewing of our mind. But then the last point tonight, and that's the secret of his plea. Look with me in verse Uh, Number two, again, of Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I'm, excuse me, the seventh point is the substance of his plea. What does he say after that? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove means to recognize as genuine. In other words, to know If we will yield our lives as a living sacrifice, we will be able to know that which is good and acceptable and perfect, which means the complete will of God. The truth of the matter is, we serve God because of, not in order to, but if we do yield our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice, there is something in it for us. And what's in it for us is that on this end of it, as we yield our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice, we're able to experience on this earth all that God wants to do in and through us. We're able to know what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God, the full will of God that he wants to do in and through our lives. But we'll never know that. We'll never know what God wanted to do, what God could have done, what God stood ready to do in and through us as individuals, in and through us as families, in in and through us as churches, if we do not first lay our life at his feet as a living sacrifice. And may I say this, that when we step out in faith and yield fully to the Lord, God stands ready to meet us. And God will always meet us on the front line of faith. Think about Abraham. God called him to go to a place, and he basically told Abraham this. I want you to leave your family, pack up your your immediate family, leave all your other family behind, and I want you to leave, and I want you to go to a place, and when you get there, I'll let you know you're there. Imagine going home and telling your wife that. We're packing up, we're moving, we're leaving, where are we going? I have no idea. We'll know when we get there. But God met him. God gave him and his seed Canaan. God told Moses, go stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses did that 10 times before Pharaoh did it. Then finally, when Pharaoh broke and said, fine, go ahead, they came to the Red Sea, and there they put up a camp. They followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and that's where God led them to. And then they look up one day, and here comes the Egyptian army. There's no way to escape. Well, this is what God said, dude. All the people murmured, what did Moses say? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God provided in a miraculous way. Never would have done that if they hadn't yielded to his will. And when we surrender our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice, and we step out on that front line of faith, God stands ready to meet us. And oh, I wish I had time tonight to tell you, just in the last year and a half, it's been amazing. Some of the things that God has done. We had to sell our home to move, and a lot of other things that happened at that same time that we just needed God to step in and provide, and He did in just a few short days. Along the way, we've been praying for certain things and wondering how all this is going to work out, and each and every thing that we've worried about so far, God has met and God has provided in His time, and it's all to His glory. And that's one of the things I'm grateful for in this church planning. I've experienced some things in my life over the last year and a half that I never would have experienced. If I hadn't first stepped out in surrender. And sometimes people look at us as missionaries missionaries and they say, Oh, you're just, y'all are some special people. There's nothing special about us. The only special thing that we have done is we've just surrendered. Everything else God has done in his time and in his will and according to his power. And I wonder tonight, what does God want to do in and through each and every one of us? If we would just wave that white flag of surrender and yield to Him. Tonight, would our prayer be, as the hymn writer wrote in hymn 489 All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence, daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. I surrender all. May God help us to wave that white flag of surrender and to yield our lives as a living sacrifice unto him. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, I'm going to close this in prayer. I'll turn it over to your pastor for the invitation. But the message simply is this tonight. Just a question. Does the Lord have all of you? And if not, would you give it to Him tonight? The truth of the matter is, we can only change the world God's way if we'll let God have His way in and through us Father I thank you for our time together tonight thank you for this church thank you for the blessing and the privilege we have of being able to serve you I pray that you'd help myself my family and everyone that's here tonight to be fully surrendered to your will for our life and to remain that way for the remainder of our life have your will and way in this invitation I pray may you receive all the honor and glory In Jesus' name.